Welcome. Good to have you here. Uh, good to be back together this week. Uh, I've decided we're going to take a little bit of a break this morning from 1 Corinthians because we just finished chapters 12 through 14. The next session section of the book begins in chapter 15, which is a lengthy section on the resurrection. Uh, it's in January because there are only six Sundays left this year, and I am going to be gone for three of them. Uh, next week, I'm going to be in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, Spencer Reevely will be bringing the word for us. Bring your Old Testaments. Um, and uh, then the following week, I'm back. That's our Thanksgiving time together on the 27th. Then on December 4th, Jade Greenfield is going to be here. And uh, on the 4th, teaching. And then on the 11th, Brian Kinzel, missionary, will be coming to share. Anita and I will be in South Africa for the first two weeks of December. So please pray for us as we go to minister to missionaries there. And then we'll be back and we'll be back for the 18th and the 25th. So with all of that going on, I, I felt like I didn't want to just jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, and then leave it hanging for a month and a half, two months. Uh, so as, we, um, as I thought about what to speak on today, I decided to speak on the balance of missions for a number of reasons. One is that I was asked to present this topic to a group of pastors this week. And so my mind was in it. My heart was in it. I was, uh, spent time thinking about this, which is something that I used to think about quite a bit, and it's been a while since I've really uh, put something together for this, and so I was excited this week even thinking about it afterwards, and I thought that it would be helpful for Steadfast this week, not only because um, it'll help you with discernment in missions and missions that you support, but also it should bring you more joy in missions and in ministry. There's a lot of overflow from what's going to be taught here, even though we're thinking specifically of mission, missionaries being sent out from the church. There's a lot of overflow and application for people within the church as well when it comes to philosophy of ministry. And it should help you to help others. Uh, also, many of us have friends and relatives who have questions in their churches about their missions program, and I think we get kind of spoiled here because Grace Church has been blessed with a very robust missionary program, 100 missionary families sent out from this church, and we, we, we see them on a weekly basis, and that's not the case in many churches where they have that missionary presence on their campus. And so as we think about... Uh, this topic, I hope thinking about the balance that we should have specifically between proclaiming the gospel and helping people with physical needs. Those are the extremes that I'm going to talk about trying to balance those. What does that look like? D.L. Moody said, if you are preaching Christ to hungry people and you have uh, a Bible in one hand and a loaf of bread in the other, he says, put the loaf of bread behind your back so that uh, they come for the word and not for the loaf of bread, which sounds great unless you're ministering to people who are starving, who have bloated stomachs and orange tinges in their hair because of malnutrition. How do you deal with the world's poorest and how do you really meet some of the severe needs around the world as Christians. And so as we think about this, uh, I think about a shift that has taken place in missions over the years. Um, it used to be you'd go into a church, say, 50 years ago. Your typical church would have a bulletin board, like right there in the opening, the beginning of the foyer, and it would have a map of the world on the bulletin board, and Russia would be cut in two because the maps are printed in America, so America's going to be right in the middle of the map. And, uh, and then right in, in, in the city that you're in, there will be a big thumbtack, like the biggest thumbtack on the bulletin board will be in your city because that's central, that's, you know, where everybody's sent out from. And then there'll be yarn tied around that, that big, you know, thumbtack going to other thumbtacks in various places where missionaries are. And there'll be pictures of the missionaries and there'll be a Bible verse above which says what? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go into all the world and make disciples. It'll be something like that. You've seen this sort of thing. And 50 years ago, that bulletin board, the pictures would have been primarily of, of missionaries who were doing church planting, church strengthening, proclamation-type ministry. 
Whereas now you might go into the same church and that bulletin board is filled with people who are doing street children and orphans and medical missions and uh, well drilling and all kinds of good things. But uh, it's possible that that none of them really are doing that kind of uh, gospel proclamation that has been so paramount in traditional missions. So what balance should we have and what has happened and should we respond to this and how do we respond to this? And so when we think about balancing missions, I want to I try and, and some, of this, some of these slides are going to be smaller. So if you have poor eyesight, there's some seats here right in the front. Uh, but I, I wanted to fit as much as I could on some of these slides. These are, this is the smallest font that I use, so it'll get bigger. But uh, I have three categories of historic or of missions, of mission strategies. And one is preaching, the priority of preaching. This is the traditional position. The traditional position is that preaching is primary, that preaching is the priority, that missionaries should be teaching and preaching the word of God. And the goal of this type of missionary work is that is spiritual renewal. And that renewal comes through the proclamation of the gospel and then social action, <clears throat> doing those kind things for other people. That social action is a byproduct. <clears throat> it happens as an outflow of the proclamation of the gospel. So when you think about that spiritual renewal, you're thinking about um, <clears throat> focusing on preaching the word, sharing the truth from the Bible with other people. That's the focus. The focus is not meeting their physical needs. People who have transformed hearts and minds when they hear the gospel, hear the fact that they're sinners, hear that, that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for their sins, and that with their, they have no self-righteousness. They have no righteousness of their own that is sufficient to meet God's standard, and therefore they must repent of their sin and trust in Christ's righteousness and give their lives to him as Lord, as master, so that their sins would be forgiven, They'd be cleansed, <clears throat> justified, sanctified, and eventually glorified. And so, and that happens through trusting in Christ and through Christ alone. And Jesus is your only hope. And this is, this is why this is a desperate message to get out, because if you just meet their physical needs, you help them temporarily. But if you meet their spiritual needs and their spiritual renewal, not only do they have eternal hope and eternal life, but they in turn have greater compassion for other people and they will help meet physical needs of those around them. It is the fruit of the gospel. It is not the focus of the gospel to meet physical needs. That's the traditional view, and I've, I've entitled it here, the priority of preaching. Just to give you an idea of how missions has shifted, if you think about the 1966 World Congress on Evangelism, which this Congress is very ecumenical now. It's, very, it's, it's much more liberal than it used to be in the 1960s. But in this, if you don't have to go back that far to see a very conservative statement on what missions was about. This is a world convention about missions, and this was part of their closing statement. It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ has not only called us to himself, he has sent us into the world to be his witnesses. In the power of his spirit, he commands us to proclaim to all people the good news of salvation through his atoning death and resurrection to invite them to discipleship through repentance and faith, to baptize them in the fellowship of his church, and to teach them all of his words. It sounds very much like the Great Commission. There was very little that we would maybe disagree with this. And there were conferences like this one, and there's a Lausanne conferences that, that began in the 1970s and carried on through, and, and, and these started out with a focus on preaching and proclamation. Um, we also have another model of missions, and that's holistic missions, holistic missions, which is, that says that spiritual renewal comes through preaching and social action together, that you can't just have one without the other that we need to focus on both of these, that they are equally important. And so uh, you have this idea that uh, you can't just go there and not meet their physical needs, and the gospel is to be presented with meeting physical needs at the same time, at the same, with the same level of importance. And you, you talk to people who are into holistic missions, and they have this great idea 
of, hey, we're going to go and we're going to plant a church, but at the same time, we're going to get a farm and we're going to teach the people as we train them to teach the Bible to actually um, grow vegetables and, and, and how to, um, you know, how, how, to, how to be involved in uh, harvesting uh, physical uh, crops to help pay for the ministry they're going to be involved in so that they can meet their own physical needs and their spiritual needs because we want to minister to the whole person, the body and the soul, so that's holistic. And I, I first, I was involved in this for a number of years. In, in the 1990s, I was involved in a lot of holistic missionary work. Some of it good, some of it not so good. The problem is, is that, I mean, uh, there was a time where I was a missionary in Malawi this before I got married. This, uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, my wife said she she would marry me as long as we never had to live in Malawi. Uh, but because um, uh, when I first lived, uh, my dream, my dream after, you know, uh, even in high school, my dream was to be a bush missionary, to go to the most rural places. I mean, isn't that every Christian's dream? You know, and, and I got my dream. I, I ended up in a place in, in Central Africa with no running water, uh, no electricity, uh, we were putting in electricity, putting in running water. We're building an orphanage. We're, um, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was getting my water out of Lake Malawi. There was hippos and crocodiles right there. Um, it was beautiful. I was boiling my water, you know, just to get rid of all the disease, malaria. Um, we had a Bible college with 26 students. Kwacha Simwaka was one of my students in 1997. So this is... This is um, Many of you know Kwacha because he's here. He's now a missionary. He's not from this church. But uh, just a real, a real joy to be out there doing what I wanted to do, um, killing snakes in my bedroom. You know, this was, this, was, uh, this was, like as a young man, this is what I wanted to do. I had a land cruiser. I was making roads with it just to get places. It was, it was I mean, it was like everything, you know, like it was really, really fun. Um, but there was a, there was, the problem is, is that the holistic side of the mission dominated the ministry in the sense that, um, you know, we had 400 chickens, we had 50 goats, we had a big agricultural work, we're growing crops and, and our, our chickens, we would lose up to a hundred chickens in a month from our neighbors, stealing them from us. So I would take a Bible college student and put them in the in the, in the chicken coop at night. It was a big chicken coop. But anyways, but like, we, we, what, what can we do? So some guys, well, I'll stay there with, with pepper spray. And so put them in the, in the chicken coop and uh, you wait, you know, you wait. And, and, and then he got tired. So he, he explained it to the next person and that guy went in there. And then um, it was Kanwani who's actually in the coop. Some of you know Kanwani. So, so uh, uh, Kanwani's in the coop and five guys come in to steal chickens. Just, you know, a couple in each hand. Boom, they come in. It's like two in the morning. Condi's so nervous. He holds up the pepper spray, sprays it right into his own face. <laughs> I hear chickens cackling. Every, <coughs> I come running, right? And the guys are gone, and Condi's got these eyes. There's just all kinds of food eyes. And, and uh, you know, and, and then we ended up IDing them. They get arrested, and the police beat them. Yeah, that's what happens in Africa when you steal chickens. So all of a sudden, our mission now is beating up people for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, and, but I'm just telling you that, you know, and, and every, it is not, that didn't happen every day, but every day it was like, okay, the eggs, we got to get the eggs to the market, and the trucks broke down, so we got to fix the trucks so we can get the eggs to the market, because if we don't get the eggs to the market, they're going to go bad, and then if they go bad, we won't get the money to pay for the, you know, to do the model. And so this is why D.A. Carson, in writing about holistic mission, says the problem with holistic mission is not even halfistic, because... The, 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 the mercy ministry part of it tends to dominate the ministry. That was certainly my experience. There may, there may be some that have it balanced, but man, it's really tough. And uh, uh, this is John Stott. John Stott is one of the biggest writers who, who has tried to promote this holistic mission. And Stott says this, they are two, like two blades of the same, uh, of a pair of scissors or the two wings of a bird. The partnership is clearly seen in the public ministry of Jesus, who not only preached the gospel, but the hungry and healed the sick. In his ministry, proclamation and service went hand in hand. Both were expressions of his compassion for people and both should be ours. It's a tremendous statement and they're great analogies. I mean, who wants to be a part of a ministry that is a one-winged bird? That's so sad, right? 
Well, you only got half the, the, the equation. Or who's going to cut paper with just one of the scissors? Like, you know, it's, it's going to make a mess of everything. And so he says, you got to have both. Right? And uh, there are a lot of people who are for this. But Stott knew what his critics were saying about him. And he hit it right on the nose. Stott said, the main fear of my critics seems to be that missionaries will be sidetracked. Bingo. As soon as you raise up physical mercy ministry to the same level as gospel proclamation, the gospel becomes, that you can say they're equal, but you get sidetracked with that physical aspect of it. And the gospel becomes sidelined. So let's take a third uh, uh, view, extreme holism. Now, when you read books about extreme holism, these are your more liberal people, the people who have a multi-meaning hermeneutic, that is, people who believe that the Bible can mean different things to different people. This is, uh, uh, this, these are people who have this idea of missions as uh, human welfare is the goal. It's accomplished either through the gospel, through gospel proclamation or social action. So it's, it's like whatever we can do to lift up the community, Whatever we can do for the shalom of the community or the kingdom in the community. And those are buzzwords that they use. And everything that they talk about is about community upliftment. That is the gospel. And so let me give you some word pictures to kind of uh, help you grasp these thoughts. Oh, I'll, I'll give this quote too from Myers. The dichotomy between evangelism and social action, between loving thy neighbor and loving, between loving God and loving the neighbor. So in other words, those who believe in holism say these are two equal things, mercy ministry or social action and, and gospel proclamation. But those who are in extreme holism say that it's all one thing. Why would you even be able to separate it? They're together. It's, it's, it's just upliftment. It's, it's, uh, there's no difference between material and spiritual. We are here to help with everything. And so um, word pictures... I'm going to, oh, this is, a, this is again another quote that um, uh, I'll, I'll, it says, extreme holism affirms that evangelism and social transformation are inseparable elements of Christ's kingdom and embraces all of the creation. The goal is shalom, a sense of human welfare and well-being that transcends an artificial distinction between private and public worlds. Shalom, by its very nature, is rooted in justice and compassion. Now, this is why I think this applies to a lot of what we hear in the church today, because the social justice movement patterns itself a lot like what's already missions 40 years ago. And the church is being wrapped up into becoming a social institution. Many churches are being sidetracked by the social needs of their community. This is another quote from Bosch. David Bosch, if you read any book on missions, they tend to quote Bosch. Bosch wrote a book that's a missionary textbook called Transforming Mission. It's an extremely difficult book to read. He's really good at making observations about what missions has done over the years and how it's changed. But the premise underneath it is that What's it going to be next? It should morph into something else. And so it, it, it's a very confusing book. I don't recommend it, but it's amazing to me that even good books tend to quote him in a positive light. Um, and Bosch says, the kingdom, Jesus overcomes the evil one. This happens or ought to happen in its fullest measure in the church, but it also happens in society. So any advance you make over the fallen world is kingdom ministry, and that's what the church should be about. So you see how confusing this is? Because we just talk about, well, the community has been uplifted by the church, and therefore uh, the church is doing its job. Meanwhile, people aren't hearing the gospel, and they're not getting saved. So you have to ask, is the community really being uplifted when it's merely material? So let me give you word pictures to describe each view. You have a sower or a planter for the priority of preaching view. This is the picture that you sow a seed in the ground, and that is the gospel. And in some soil, it takes root, and it grows, and it flourishes. And are that people will be reaching out to others around them. One time, I was at a mission meeting, and somebody said to me, what's the solution for Africa? I mean, Africa is a desperately difficult place to minister, and people have poured decades, years. David Livingston was there 150 years ago, and it's still so devastating to see 
the poverty and the, the, the spiritual hunger and the... And I believe that the answer is you put a godly man in every village who preaches the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. And as the Lord opens their eyes and hearts to understand their need for him, their sin, and their only hope is in a savior who lived a perfect life and never sinned and who was God in the flesh who came down and died as a substitute, as a sacrifice for them. When they place their trust in Christ... They are so overwhelmed with his goodness and his grace towards them that they change from the inside out and their natural inclination then is to reach out to their neighbors and to love them. That is the answer for Africa and for every community in the world. Godly people preaching the good news. Um, And the picture for holistic mission is two wings of the same bird. And I think that's a fair picture of what they're trying to promote. And that's Stott's, those are Stott's, that's Stott's illustration. And then extreme holism would be a waiter or a waitress. It's almost as though um, you're coming up to the people group you're ministering to, whether it be a city in an inner city location in a big city like Los Angeles, or whether that be a, a village in Africa, and you come to the people and you say, I'm here to serve you. What are your greatest rituals? We can do that. Or would you like some social action today? Which would you like? Because it's all for the shalom of the community And that's what I'm about. Questions about these three positions before we move on, because I I think they do raise some questions, but I want to mainly uh, ensure that you understand them. Any questions? Yes. It's a fantastic question. Sorry, I just spit out my lifesaver. Um, it's a fantastic question. The question was, do you think most mission agencies re- recognize which category they're in? And I think an even more poignant question, do you think most sending churches recognize the distinction between these categories? And I would say no. I would say sending churches need to understand these because part of the solution is the sending church finding a way to make proclamation missions a priority. I am in no way saying that we should not, as a church, ever reach out to those who are suffering. I don't want this to be misunderstood. I am not the guy who says we should be against orphans. All right? When I was in South Africa, I pastored a church there for eight years, and there were some ladies in the church who started a home for abandoned HIV-positive babies. Over the years, they, they had 24 beds, And many of the babies lost their HIV status, and we were able to adopt out over 100 babies who came in, were abandoned, and were later adopted out HIV HIV negative. On the ARVs early enough, they can lose that status. There are kids there who who are still there, and we probably will see them in a couple of weeks when Anita and I go back there. We're still in touch with the Lombano Homes. I served as the chairman of the board for that organization. I love the idea of ministering to orphans. And I think that if you're in Africa and you're not concerned about the HIV crisis and orphans, you're missing something. But that's got to be the outflow of a church. It needs to be associated with a church that is focused on proclaiming the gospel. And that's the heart of the people loving their neighbors. It's not the focus of the mission. And so when churches and organizations start to read and, and discern and, and, and say, well, what should our mission be? I think that's what this message is about, is to call all of our hearts and minds, what is the mission of the church? Why are we here? Why hasn't the Lord just taken us to be with him? If worship is our only mission, we can do that in heaven. So um, let's go on. How do these positions differ in their view of Matthew 28, 18 through 20? This is a, obviously a key missionary text. So when we think about Matthew 18 through 20, it says in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to point out something here. And we've talked about this before in Steadfast, but the main verb here, the main command is to make disciples. The idea is to make disciples. And there are two descriptive words that come after that. Those grammarians know that they're participles, right? I love participles. No, I am loving participles. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, participles are those ing words, and um, the uh, the participles uh, describe the verbs. 
So how do you make disciples? You make them through baptizing and through teaching. Baptizing and modify. That is, they help give you understanding of what making disciples is all about. The word make disciples, mathetes, in the original, it means a learner follower. That's what a disciple is. So anytime somebody is learning more and following more devotedly to Christ, he is growing in discipleship. To make a disciple involves baptism because baptism happened early on with conversion. And so it was the idea that you're proclaiming the gospel, people are coming to faith in Christ, testifying publicly of the work of Christ by being baptized, and then they are being taught all that the Lord has commanded them. Now, where's a great place on earth that you can do both of those things, get baptized and be taught? Anybody have any ideas? The church. But what happens in missions oftentimes is you go say, hey, I want to go help these people, and we start an orphanage, or we do some other kind of uh, well drilling or something like that, and then, and then we preach and show a film and whatever, and then people come to Christ, and we're like, hey, we should maybe think about churches. And the church is an afterthought. It's the carts before the horse. And so how do you get that turned around? How do you, how do you have the focus be on a place that can do disciple-making minutes? The scary thing is that your bulletin board in the front of your church could actually have this verse there, but it actually could have um, uh, none of those pictures that people are involved in baptizing and teaching. Now, I'm not saying, gee, how many people did you baptize this week? Are you really a missionary? But I'm saying every missionary should be associated with a local church in country. And if you're involved primarily in helping to establish a local church in country that is going to be baptizing and teaching so that when people do come to faith in Christ, it's not like, oh my, what do we do now? Which is what happens with a lot of missions. So with uh, the priority of preaching view, this is a key passage. This is the great commission. It's what we call it. Why is it the Great Commission? Because it is primary. Making disciples is part of our mission. And so um, it's the primary mission in making disciples. Holistic Mission sees it as a complementary passage that emphasizes one side of our mission. Um, Stott speaks a lot about John 17, verse 18, which says, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And this is Jesus' prayer. He sent his people, disciples, out into the world. And Stott talks about, as the Father sent me, Christ is the incarnation who came down to meet both physical needs and spiritual needs because he healed through miracles, and he also preached the truth, the gospel. And therefore, since Christ said, as the Father sent me, so I send you, and Christ was the incarnation, we should have a quote-unquote incarnational ministry where we become Christ in those villages and those, those cities and places, meeting people's physical needs like Christ healed and meeting people's spiritual needs like proclamation. What's the problem with that? Do you see? Yes. So we've just got a whole section of 1 Corinthians where we've talked a lot about miracles, and what we've noted time and time again is that supernatural miracles actually uh, confirmed the message that was spoken, but the focus was always on the message. And we don't have the same need to do those miracles because the canon is complete, because if somebody wants to know if we're really preaching God's word, they can check it with God's word. And so... uh, that, that, that's one of the weaknesses of, of the holistic mission view is that it becomes... Another problem is that the John 17 passage, it, I think you're reading a lot into as the Father sent me because we, 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 you're just choosing like, what do you mean by as the Father sent me? I think we do this with various passages where we say it what we want it to mean. Um, and, and what do you mean? As a, so are we to be crucified? Are we to sacrifice for people's sins? Are we the propitiation? No, you wouldn't say we, we fulfill every part of the incarnation. So why do you choose just miracles as the, the social aspect? And why do you choose gospel proclamation as an equal thing there without looking at all of Christ's work? Which and I'm not, I, think that, I think that the prayer was there was a, an emphasis on compassion for people. The Father loves his people. Jesus is praying that they would continue to go and love. And love and that compassion comes through. But I think, I think that 
if you really love someone, you're going to carry about eternal issues more than you're going to carry about temporal issues, which again, I don't want to, this is hard when their temporal issues may precede them from actually coming to faith in Christ with eternal issues because their temporal issues are so great. So we can talk a little bit more about that towards the end. I'll I'll leave some time for questions. Um, But um, Matthew 28, the extreme holism says, well, this is a related passage that emphasizes only one option of our mission. Um, Okay, yeah, I think we're going to do this. I'm trying to look at time here. There's a, there's a commentator named Ulrich Luz. Ulrich Luz has written a, an excellent multi-volume commentary on Matthew's gospel. And he is not a conservative evangelical. He is somewhat liberal in many of his conclusions. The understanding of the text is really pretty amazing. And uh, he makes some good observations. And for that reason, if you can read with discernment, sometimes his commentaries are very helpful. But uh, with this position, he says it speaks falsely of the so-called mission command of Matthew 28, 19, that had to serve for a kind of militarization of the practice of missions. God does not go and establish churches. It's rather a matter of kingdom of God in the world. So he's using that kingdom word there, and he's saying, no, this is not really just go establish churches. This isn't our military mantra. He says people overemphasize the Great Commission, and I, I, I disagree. Um, but how do these positions view, differ in their view of Matthew 25? And I want to spend the remaining time that we discuss here really from Matthew 25. They're, they're, this is often brought up as a passage to justify, to justify the focus on physical needs. So I'm going to read uh, a big portion of this. You can turn to Matthew 25 with me, but I think just getting an understanding of this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you gave me. Verses 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did you thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So in this text, you have a picture of those who go to heaven, who are considered righteous, and they're described by ministering to people's physical needs, visiting them in prison, giving them food while they're hungry, giving them drink while they're thirsty. And you have people who are described as going to hell, and they are described as those who are not meeting physical needs, not going to the prison to visit them, not giving them food when they're hungry, not giving them drink when they're thirsty. So how can such an eternally kingdom-minded be so much physical and not the spiritual? And the key to understanding the passage is answering the question, who are the least of these? Now, typically, people who, who think of the least of these, you, you see a world vision or some kind of a, a picture of a poverty-stricken little child, and in the verse, it says, do unto what? And there's this poor kid who is considered to be the least of all people, the poorest of the poor. The technical term in, in, in missional writing is the universal poor of the world. The least of these are the universal poor of the world. 
So who are the, the least of these? Well, Matthew 25, 31 through 46 says the least of these are preaching disciples. Possibly, and very likely, like the ones sent out in Matthew 10, rejecting them is representative of rejecting the message. So uh, when we think about um, uh, Matthew 10, turn back with me to Matthew 10. Just keep your finger there in Matthew 25. Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. Now, later, uh, he sent out 70 more in a similar fashion. But he sent out them out to the lost sheep. It says in 10, um, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts to scourge you in their synagogues. You'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say, for it will be given to you in the hour for what you are to say. Let me just go on here. Uh, skip down to verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And then there's a key section down in verse 40 which says, he who receives you receives me. Now, I love this. I love this that Jesus Christ identifies himself so much with those whom he sends out, with his believers, that he says, uh, those who receive you receive me. Now, this is reminiscent of in Acts when Paul came to faith in Christ and, 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 and uh, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No, he says, me. Christ identifies with his body so much that he uses this, a personal pronoun to describe the church, disciples. So, um, and so he says in verse 40, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Verse 42, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives one to these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Who are the little ones? The little ones are these disciples who've been sent out to the lost sheep of Israel to preach the gospel. It's interesting. The same word is not found as least of these. However, least is a superlative. Superlative is the, is, is the extreme uh, form of the word. So if I say that you're good, but he's best, best is a superlative. It's a different word. You say, is best the same word as good? No, but it's the superlative for good. The word used for least of these is the superlative for little ones. And so we have that connection from 10 to chapter, uh, uh, chapter 25. And it makes sense because if, if, uh, Chapter 25 is hard to understand. I've been for looking after physical needs. Well, think of who these brothers of mine are. And those who, those who, are, who read Matthew 25, you notice that Jesus says they are brothers of his, meaning other believers. They're Christian brothers. They're, they're not his physical brothers, not Jewish brothers, not the brotherhood of mankind, but physical, Christian brotherhood. These are believers. The least of these are believers who are sent out and I believe that they would be like the ones who were sent out earlier in Matthew chapter 10 because who else would be in need of food and shelter and clothing but those who are out preaching the gospel to the lost sheep of Israel and who will be before courts and scourged and in prison and, and, and not to take an extra belt with them and not to take an extra coat with them but to rely on the hospitality of people that they minister to. So picture yourself in a village in Palestine, in Israel, in the first century and a, and a disciple of Jesus comes and says, the Messiah has come and he starts preaching from the Old Testament and he reveals that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and you believe him. And so you invite him into your home and it says in Mark, Matthew chapter 10 that if they don't invite you, shake the, shake the dust off your feet, you know? And so, so there's this idea that, that, that they, why do they invite you? Why do they visit you when you're in prison? Why do they give you a cup of cold water? Because they believe the message and that's why they go to heaven. The reason they go to heaven is not because of their good works. Their good works are evidence that they have believed in the one who came preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they're saved by faith not by works. So you have this, this understanding of the fact that, and that, well, Matthew 25 doesn't make sense because you have it, because Bible teaches. It can't be good works. Somehow it has to be faith because faith is what saves. But holistic mission sees the least of these 
They may be the world's poor or possibly fellow disciples who are suffering. So they'll say, yeah, it might include them, but it could also be the world's poor because least is an ambiguous term and, 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 and who are really the least of these. And then uh, extreme holism says the least of these are the world's poor or the universal poor. Going back to Ulrich Luz, German commentator who wrote this commentary I mentioned before, he has amazing, so, so this is, he makes the connection and he gets it. He understands, because the way he studies, is he says, what did this mean to the original recipients? Then he says, what does it mean to us? Now, when we look at scripture, we ask the same questions. What did this mean to the original recipients? But if it means something different to us, we don't have a way to do that, because then we're the authority. We get to decide what it means. But Ulrich doesn't seem to have a that. Matthew's readers would have thought primarily of the itinerant radicals, the preaching disciples. Remembering the disciples' discourse of chapter 10 that spoke of the disciples wandering and outsider status, of their poverty, of their dependence on hospitality, and of the dangers they encounter in a hostile world as they face trials and risk their lives. Above all, however, they will think of the end of the disciples' discourse where they are called to extend hospitality to the wandering brothers and sisters. Chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, that's what we read. He, he, you could spend all uh, you know, weeks going through chapter 10 and looking at those different sections and how those might be fulfilled in chapter 25. And Ulrich says, I believe that the original readers would have made that connection. He says, the universal interpretation of our text, that is this extreme holism that the least in the world for, is at the heart of the gospel because it exposes fundamental areas of life to Jesus uh, areas of life to Jesus' gospel of unconditional love. Exegetically, it does not represent Matthew's view. In other words, if you do the study, you'll come up with a view different than what Matthew had. He says, Matthew's view, in all probability, the evangelists saw in the needy brothers not every needy human being, but only needy disciples. Thus, the question for us is, are we theologically justified in interpreting a text contrary to its original sense when the resulting meaning is central to the gospel itself and helpful for modern people who receive it? In this case, I would like to answer this question with yes. And he spends the next eight pages talking about uh, why he justifies taking scripture, understanding what it means, and then applying it as something completely different. Why? To that point that the seminarian falls off his chair and says, I can't believe it. Okay, that was a little joke for seminarians. Um, But um, so... I'm going to stop there because I, I could go on, uh, and I may go on at another time. I don't know, but, but I, uh, I know this is kind of a lecture. I know we've talked about a lot of things, but we've got 12 minutes here left. What are your questions? How can we help you? Well, the question is, do I think that Matthew 25 teaches that we should meet the physical needs of brothers around the world, specifically those who are preaching? And I would say, listen, I don't want to be hyper-dogmatic and say that this was only to those Jews that were speaking there. I think the principle is those who are proclaiming the gospel, we are going to, uh, those who are brothers. I think, I think at the least anyone could say from the text is that the least of these have to be Christians. It's not the universal poor of the world. That doesn't mean we can't minister to the universal poor of the world. There are many things we can do, but there are some things that we must do. And if we don't do the things that we must do, in order to do things that we can do, we fail our mission. We must preach Christ to a dying world. Otherwise, where will they hear it? From the Red Cross? No, but if, we be, if the church... So I do think that the least of these is it's Christians. I do think it's probably pointing towards Christians who are proclaiming the gospel, because let's face it. If a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door or a Mormon knocks on your door and says, hey, we understand you're a Christian and we're out here preaching for, Jeho- for the kingdom or for our kingdom hall here or, you know, and they say, hey, can we stay at your house while we go to all your neighbors? You're going to say, no way. Why? Because you're not hosp- hospitable? No, because I don't want to be associated with the false teaching that you have. And, and therefore, my... The fact that I'm not hospitable to them, that I'm not taking care of them, shows that I don't want the truth with what they're teaching. So my faith is ingrained deeply into my actions. And, uh, and, so, and on the contrary, if there's a missionary who has needs, man, and they're out there, 
I'm going to find joy in partnering with them because I rejoice in the message being proclaimed. I, I remember one time uh, when I first went out to the mission field, I came back on a furlough. And this, is, this lady, it was, it was 1997, and this lady was probably 97 years old. And she comes to me, and she wags her finger at me after service. And she says to me, I want you to know that I can't go where you're going, but I can help send you. And her finger's pointed like this, and I'm, who is she pointing at? I don't know. But, so, and she says, but I can help support you. And you remember that when you're there, you're there for me. That's partnership. That's, the, that's, that's really believing in what I'm doing and wanting to participate in that. That's fellowship. Other questions? Yes, Alan. Missionaries versus STM, short-term missionary trips or, or short, short-term ministry tips, trips is what we, we call them here. So I think, um, do the, can they have different purposes? Well, I would say this. Every sh- we all have seen short-term mission trips that were a fiasco, that accomplished very little and the gospel wasn't really proclaimed. So we should avoid those. But there are those that especially come and help missionaries. And longer-term missionaries need to be weary of this because sometimes longer-term missionaries can accept teams that aren't going to be helpful and more work for them. So it's really got to be orchestrated and done in a biblical way. I guess what I would get at is, would it be wrong, let's say there was a hurricane in, you know, in, in, in uh, where do hurricanes happen? Florida. Yeah, the hurricanes. Um, and we wanted to send blankets to them. All right? And we just, out of our heart, our church wants to send blankets to them. And we weren't going to really put tracks in them or send missionaries. We were just going to do out of our love. Do we have the freedom to do that? Yes. Should we do that? I think there are occasions where we should do that, where we're helping out our fellow people, our, our neighbors, right? And the, the world's getting smaller, so our neighbors are getting closer. Okay? So I think you can do that. However, there's got to be a balance. And that's got to be a, 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 you know, we, we can't turn our whole focus on that. And therefore, if someone's on a mission committee, I think they should start asking themselves, well, what are our missionaries doing and how many of them are focused on, you know, priority of preaching or traditional prioritism is what it would be called in textbooks. How many are focused on that and how many of them are focused in other types of things and, and that percentage? If we have 10 missionaries, is it okay to have one or two? Listen, I'm not against medical missions either. You know, Malawi is a, is a place, is a country with 17 million people. There was an article in the BBC entitled, Are There More Missionaries in Manchester? Are There More Doctors in Manchester Than in Malawi? And they said yes. And they counted 265 doctors in Malawi for 17 million people. So if you his career and go to Africa and become a doctor and look for church to support him, medical needs when we were in Africa, you know, I'm not going to say, no, don't send him. We're going to die. It sounds really bold, but you know what? I'm okay with a church sending a doctor. That doctor should be focused on, you know, uh, I, I'm just saying that if that's all that we're doing, if that's our focus, if the majority of the missionaries are all doctors, the church is missing it. So we got to look at our spectrum and what balance should we have? Yeah. So what about parachurch organizations, and especially ones that are they're focused mainly on social action ministry, maybe like uh, human trafficking, or the, that was the example that was given. So uh, I'm just, listen, I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do with your money. You have the freedom, right? And you might have a heart for doing that. But I will say this, investigate. See how they're involved with churches on the ground. Is it gospel proclamation? And if, it's, if the gospel is very minor and you still want to support it with your money, you have the freedom, but what else are you doing with your money? And shouldn't there be other things? And not only that, I think along with this is there's this idea that's out there. It's in the church here in America and it's overseas. And the idea is this. The idea is, well, we need to go show them who we are by our actions so that they will listen to our message. Two problems with that. One is that, in, in essence, you're, you're kind of saying that the gospel's not powerful enough to draw people to Jesus Christ. 
that we need to help it along, to boost it, to give it a platform. And that's a wrong thinking. The second issue is that Jesus told us to do something to show the world. In John 13, he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So if the world's going to look at the church and say they believe what they teach, they're going to see it first and foremost from the way they love one another and care for one another. And the problem with missions, one of the problems with missions today, not the problem, one of the problems is that you could have somebody involved in an international ministry where all of their effort and time and energy is spent helping uh, the poorest of the poor in a country of the world, which is, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is if they don't even know person that and there's no this, all men will know that you're my disciples. These are all diverted, poor, and essentially to others, I care about your needs. I care about the needs of someone way over there. It's a wrong picture of the church. Yes? So the problem, so the question of holistic students that I painted, isn't that just an example of a failed one? And let me try and answer it this way and see if I'm answering you. I had a missionary to Malawi come to me one time, a person who was thinking about coming to Malawi, moving to Malawi. He was a farmer. And I said, he wanted to be a missionary. I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, well, I want to teach people to plant crops, and I want to uh, teach people the Bible. And I said, well, what's your, what do you do back in the States? He said, well, I'm a farmer. How long have you been a farmer? I've been a farmer for 30 years. Oh, that's great. Uh, what, what kind of Bible education? No, I, I don't have any Bible education. I just I mean, I go to church, you know. And I said to him, why do you want to teach people the Bible? I mean, yeah, teach people the Bible, but why, are you, why, if you, why don't you just train people farming? If that's really your heart and your passion, why don't you partner with somebody else then who can? There's plenty. There, there are people who can train in the Bible but you're going to do half of both jobs. And you're probably, it's going to be really frustrating because it takes longer to live in a third world country. Things don't work, so you're constantly fixing something. So, so tent makers is a whole different issue. I will say this. There's not a shortage of money in missions. There's a shortage of qualified people who want to proclaim the truth. And so... If you want to be a missionary, go get the best training in the world and trust God to provide for you to go there and minister to people and be devoted to that. Don't, don't feel like you need to split it up for some reason, sell it way back in the States so that you can be free from the burden of raising support. It's, it's, it's... We're out of time. But hey, I appreciate the questions. And I'm going to commission you out of here so that commissions can come in here. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to consider these issues and look to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, that this would ignite in us a desire and a passion to proclaim your truth more boldly to those around us, that we can see that it's time to say what needs to be said so that people can understand that you are our only hope. So we praise you for this time. Praise you. Pray you continue to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.